On April the 18th, 1997, I got the call that nobody ever wants to receive. My sister-in-law called me to let me know that she had killed my brother. I remember, I remember writing in my journal that it was a sunny 67-degree day on April the 18th, 1997. It was a perfect day until I got that phone call. Well, today is April the 18th, 2019. It was 22 years ago today, and I've never done a podcast on this, though I have written about this and talked about this in other places. It is a sensitive issue, and whenever other people are are involved, it is delicate. I do try to be as transparent as I should be, I think, appropriately. It is a fine line. It is a thin line. Sometimes I don't know where it is. Some people say, wow, you are really transparent. Other people want to know more. And I I really walk down that line imperfectly, but I do want to live transparently. And the reason for that is because I want to model. I mean, modeling the gospel, emulating Christ, as Paul told, told us in Ephesians 5.1, that we are to imitate God as beloved children. And there are many communicable attributes of God, meaning there are things that God has communicated to us. He has given to us, is what I'm saying, is what communicable attributes mean. And people need to see what that looks like in our lives. As I have said many times, Christians are in the import-export business. We import the things that Christ has taught us, and we export those things out to others. Therefore, there should be a level of transparency with our lives so people can see in real and practical ways what it means to live a God-centered life in a fallen world And so as I try to walk that line of honesty and transparency and being open, as I do that imperfectly, I do want you to get a sneak peek uh, behind the curtain of our lives, Rick and Lucia and our family, so you can see what it looks like as boots on the ground. I don't want to be one of those theoretical Christians that just talks about how things should be and what the Bible says and give commentaries on the Bible, but my life is detached from that commentary. And so the knowledge that we have should be practicalized, and we who are dispensing that knowledge to others should be exhibit A as to what the practical outworking of the gospel looks like in real-life situations. And so here I am, April the 18th, 2019, 22 years later, after I got that dreaded phone call from my sister-in-law about uh, the murder of my brother, and so I want to share a short article about that with you. By the way, my name is Rick Thomas, and you're listening to Your Daily Drive. Your Daily Drive is the podcast in which I put all of my article content in audio format, and I have a ways to go. I I've got over, I think, 800 podcasts of Your Daily Drive alone. That's not counting Life Over Coffee. But I still have several hundred more, and so it's going to take a while to get all of our articles in audio. But I know that our articles in audio are important. 
because more and more and more people are listening to our podcast. In fact, it could be that more people are listening to our podcast than reading our articles because podcasts have, they have transcended. Uh, they have surpassed virtually everything else as far as content consumption. And that's why it's important to me to get our articles in audio format. I got this note from Raymond just a couple days ago, which affirms this idea. Raymond said, I just wanted to say I am thankful for this ministry. I mainly use podcasts. There it is. Now, that's not a surprise. Other people have said that as well, and we have understood this for a few years now, which is why we started in 2015 of getting these podcasts out there. And Raymond tells me why he does it. He says, I mainly use podcasts. And then he adds, I listen to them at work. Well, that's true, because people can listen to podcasts. You can do it while you're doing other things. I suspect, though I don't have any statistical analysis to support my suspicion, but I suspect the majority of people who listen to our podcast are doing something else. Right now, you're driving in your car. Chad told me that. Chad's from Minnesota, also a mastermind student. He said he he says he listens to our podcast going to and from work. And so this is a, a common thing. There's people working out right now listening to my podcast. Those of you who are pumping iron, you need to work harder. <laughs> you need to sweat. You keep pumping that iron. And when you get to what you believe is the end of your reps, do two more just for me. There are other people vacuuming the floors and doing all kinds of things, going to work, of course. And Raymond listens to me at work. Raymond, make sure that you're doing your job and you're not one of those people that listens to podcasts when you should be doing something else. But thank you for your kind note. He said, I wanted to uh, say thank you. I'm thankful for this ministry. I mainly use podcasts. I listen to them at work. Of course, I want to thank you for all the awesome devotionals that you share with the public. Now he's talking about the articles. But I, I know this ministry cannot be run without the aid of others. And to those people, I also want to shout out a big thank you for all you do. May you continue to answer the Lord's call. And may God bless everyone at rickthomas.net. Sign Raymond. Now, if you have been encouraged by our ministry, I want you to do what Raymond did. I want you to send a thank you note, and we'll put it in our thank you section on our website because that's important. It's important that people hear uh, what other people are saying, how the Lord is reaching people through this ministry. Paige said, I just started reading your books, Suffering Well. Incredible. I just kept praying. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. And so, anyway, thank you, Paige, and thank you, Raymond. Thank you for listening to these podcasts. I do want to talk about this one because I haven't shared this before in a, in a podcast. And so I have the article written on the website, and it is, it's pretty short. I didn't do the word count, but I would imagine it's under 1,000 words, maybe 800 words, something like that. It's not really long, and so you can read this autobiographical story of a snippet of my life of what happened 22 years ago today when I got the phone call that my brother was killed. The title of the article is, My Brother Was Murdered in 1997. When I got the phone call, I, I live currently in 
Greenville, South Carolina, and I'm 135 miles away from my hometown. And so I asked my sister-in-law not to tell anyone in my family. I got the first call. The news was sudden, and back then, this kind of thing was slower to get out than today's technology. And so I didn't have any concern that it would get out. And the main reason is, is because uh, I wanted to tell my mother uh, personally. I wanted to be with her when she heard the news, and I also wanted to share that with my grandmother as well. In 1997, my grandmother was 93 years old, I believe. She lived by herself at the time. She lived by herself since 1974 when my grandfather died. I lived with her for a brief period of time, uh, on two occasions, actually, after I ran away from home as a 15-year-old. And then later, as my, as my life fell apart, uh, my wife uh, left and divorced and I was penniless and couldn't afford a place to stay, and so I lived with my my grandmother for a brief period uh, back in the early 90s as well. And so I didn't want my grandmother to find out through other means, and my mother lived about a mile down the road. Actually, it would be a little, little yeah, I guess about a mile, mile and a half down the road, same road, that my brother lived on, and so I wanted to go to her home first, my home where I was raised, and I wanted to tell her. So I asked my mother, uh, my sister-in-law not to tell anyone and that we would be there shortly. Again, it was 135 miles away. And so I told Lucia. We packed the car and headed north. By the way, Lucia and I were not married. Lucia, of course, was living with her family. Uh, but she wanted to be with me. We were going to be married on uh, June the 28th of that same year, 1997, which we were. And ironically, I suppose... Uh, my brother, uh, Joy, was going to be the best man at our wedding. I had talked to him in uh, January of 1997, and I asked him if he would be the best man uh, in my wedding. Joy became a Christian in 1987, in August of 1987. That was shortly after my oldest brother was murdered, and it rattled his life to such a degree that God got a hold of him, and I believe he was truly regenerated. And you truly have, you'd have to understand our family and our background and how we were reared. We were, <laughs> yeah, I, I tell my children that if you look up dysfunction in the dictionary, you would have a picture of us, our family, uh, beside that to describe total dysfunction. I'll not get into all of that now, but we, we were about as dark as we could possibly be. And then, and so when God regenerates a person like me or a person like Joy, uh, there is a uh, remarkable difference. There's an objective difference, and I'm not, I'm not talking about behaviorism per se, but I'm talking about those unguarded moments when things happen in your life and you just talk differently, you act differently in the private moments, the secret moments away from the public, things that I saw in him, private conversations that we had that uh, were there's no other way to explain it, but spiritually, spiritually illuminated, uh, humility, those types of things. And it was radically different from the conversation. Even just basic things is saying these three words. Here they are. Never heard this. My brother never said this to me in my life until after God saved him. He said, I love you. And that's really remarkable in my family. And so I truly believe that he was uh, regenerated, and in January of 1997, I asked him if he would be the best man in 
my wedding. Now, at that time, he was walking away from the Lord, and it was a complicated situation, and I have written about that. And if you want to read that story, you're welcome to read it as well. The title of that article on our website is called, When Christianity Disappoints You, The Death of My Brother. And I walked through uh, the situation in his life that led to him walking away from the Lord, which created this complicatedness uh, within his marriage. But nevertheless, I went to him in January of 97, and even though he was walking away from the Lord, I loved him, and I wanted him to be the best man at our wedding. Uh, needless to say, our wedding did have a, a dark cloud over it, and we had a little plaque uh, in our wedding uh, acknowledging Joey's death and the fact that he was going to be the best man in our wedding. And so there was sadness there three months later in June uh, when Lucia and I got married. But on April 18th, so we went home, 1997, and we arrived about three hours later at my brother's home. He was shot the night before. He and his wife had been on a date in a neighboring town. They came home, and for some inexplicable reason, they got into an argument. It escalated, and she went into the bedroom to get their gun. He was at the other end, at the other end of their home when she started shooting and she was shooting wildly just down the hallway uh, toward where he was. And when I was there that day, I saw uh, bullets, uh, bullet holes uh, in the kitchen and uh, in the wall, high in the wall. Uh, they were kind of random. She shared these things with me shortly after arriving. She was laying in bed. She was crying. I crawled in bed basically on top of her, and I held her tightly uh, in my arms, and, and she cried and told me the story, and, and I was trying to comfort her. I knew that she had killed him uh, at this time. She hit him at least once from f about 40 feet away because there was blood in the hallway right before the garage door, so he was hit once, and what he did is he was trying to get away, so he went into the garage. He crawled out into the garage between their two cars. She went into the garage where he was lying on the floor. She told me, and this is, I mean, she just told me directly that day what she had, what she did, that she held the gun about five feet above him as he was lying on the floor between the two cars, and she shot him unloading the chamber. She put five slugs in him, and he... He died within minutes. Now, for her to do that, she had to uh, go from their bedroom down the hallway, past the front door, continue down the hallway, make a left into the garage, go into the garage between the cars and find him uh, to kill him. I'm not sure why she didn't run outside to get away from him if she was genuinely afraid of him, which was her defense, that she was afraid of him and... That's why she did it. But she walked past the front door, entered the garage, walked to the other side of the car, and unloaded the pistol. One of the ironic things about their relationship is that they have virtually known each other all of their lives. On January the 20th, 1957, they were born in the same town, in the same hospital, only hours apart, almost like twins. They knew each other nearly all of their lives. They went to school together, they hung together, and eventually got 
married 30 years after they left that hospital in 1957. And as I said, they were married in 1987, just about three months after, or maybe a couple of months after my oldest brother was murdered. A few months before she killed him, she took out an insurance policy on him, like in February of of 97, something like that. The judge charged her with murder, but gave her the least possible conviction, which was involuntary manslaughter. Uh, as I tell people in North Carolina, you, you get one. You, you get one murder if you have no priors, meaning you have no prior convictions. Uh, she didn't have, from what I understand, she didn't have a ticket, uh, a, a, a driving violation, or any other kind of ticket or misdemeanor. And so what they factor in is your prior record, and then they factor in the defense as far as the murder is concerned. And so they called the murder involuntary manslaughter, and she had no prior record. And so at the trial, she and she had virtually every friend in her community who knew her, plus all their friends to show up in the courtroom for support and to testify that she was a good person. On my brother's side was my 93-year-old grandmother, my mother, my girlfriend, fiance Lucia, and me. So it was approximately 200 to 4 as far as uh, people, uh, as far as support is concerned. And the judge ended up giving her 300 hours. I believe that is the correct number of community service. And that goes back to having no priors and then calling it involuntary manslaughter. And so those two things factored in. Uh, you get the least possible uh, judgment that you can get, which turned out to be community service. But she was convicted, nevertheless, of involuntary manslaughter, which meant that she could not get the life insurance money. But her daughter from a previous marriage did collect it. It may have been a couple hundred thousand dollars. I don't, I don't remember and so it didn't go to her as the primary beneficiary. It went to her daughter, the secondary beneficiary, uh, from a, uh, the daughter from a previous marriage. Her daughter was a teenager at the time, and that was that. Now, that's what happened. That's the short story of what happened. If you want to talk to me about this, you're welcome to do that. You can go to our free community forum if you're not a supporter of our ministry. If you do support our ministry, then you can go... Uh, to the private side of our website and talk about this. Not necessarily my story. I'm not. I'm not really interested in sharing much more than that. And if you just want details or, you know, that kind of stuff, I mean, that's not really important. Not necessary. But what I really want to talk to you about is that your experience with injustice or bitterness or unresolved issues that are going on in your life. I don't want to make this a discussion about my life per se because it's just not that important. And we would really miss a vital point here. And the vital point here, and this is how I want to finish this podcast, is that we all have suffered injustices. We all have experienced bad news, whatever that bad news is. And so I want to finish the rest of this podcast by flipping this narrative around and not leave you uh, with this horrendous, irrevocable story. It's an unchangeable situation. It will never change. 
as far as my brother will never come back to life. Uh, but I want to talk about the good news. And the, the good news begins negatively. You don't have good news without bad news. There's no point of good news if there was no bad news. We'd have no way of comparing and judging those things. And so the bad news is, is that we all experience it. We all experience bad things, horrific things in our lives, disappointing things. Nobody receives a pass in this matter. The issue is never about whether evil will come knocking on your door. That's not a point of debate. It does come knocking on your door. The real discussion point, the real issue is how are you going to live for God's fame, for your good, and the benefit of others when the dark days come and stay over your heart and your home? There are three things that need to happen, or there's three outcomes that you want as you flip the narrative of the bad things of, in your life. You want God's fame to be broad, high, large in people's minds. You want to flip the narrative, secondly, but for your benefit, for your good. You want to reverse the curse, so to speak, of this bad thing that happened in your life, and then number three, you want others to benefit from it, which is why I am sharing this story. This is the crux of the matter of why I'm sharing this thing. I, I want you to know it's, it's not to be autobiographical just to be autobiographical, but it's to be autobiographical to, to show you that the gospel can be practicalized and that God's fame can be broadened and increased and you can benefit from it and others can benefit as well. This ministry that you're listening to right now is the product of many of these horrific events in my life. But let me quickly say that the process from despair to hope is not an easy one. And that's what I want to talk about. If you want to talk on our forums, we have free forums that anybody on the world in the world who has access to the internet can can get on. And you can ask whatever question you have. We are not just a knowledge-dispensing ministry. By the grace of God, we never will be. We never have been. We want to engage people. I don't want to write a book and just throw it out there and say, read it, good luck with that. No, I want to write a book, write an article, produce a podcast, make a graphic. And then I want to interact with you to help you in the practicalization aspect of that information that you are receiving. We don't want to be informational only. We want to cooperate with whatever the Lord may be doing in your life and be transformational to help you. And so this process from dis despair to hope is not an easy one. And so after my perilous journey through this unique valley of the shadow of death, the Lord turned my heart. He turned it in such a way to where I could pray for my former sister-in-law. I, I hope that if she's not a Christian, and I don't know that whether she is or isn't, I don't know that even after all these years, don't know if she ever was one. But I hope that if she's not a Christian, I mean, this is the first prayer, obviously. This is the main prayer, is that the Lord would regenerate her. I don't want her to go to hell. I don't want her to to receive God's eternal judgment, it would bring me no greater pleasure than to see her standing in heaven beside the person she murdered. 
forever worshiping the Savior. How glorious would that be? How profound would that be that if my sister-in-law, former sister-in-law, could stand in heaven beside my brother, the person she put to death, worshiping him whom we all put to death? There is gospel irony here, and it is profound. There's also a precedent. This, if, if this outcome that I just laid out to you were to happen, and I hope it does happen, it won't be the first time it happened. The great apostle Paul has been doing similarly for a long time now. He is rejoicing with his friends that he consented, that he approved to put to death, as he said in Acts 20, 22, 20. The cross of Christ and the gospel that flows from that cross and tomb resolve all of our problems, no matter what they are. What could be better than this good news that we know and experience because of God's favor upon us? It is the gospel that makes all things right. And I do thank God that although my soul was heavy because of this, it's not heavy today because of it, but it was heavy because of the wages of sin, specifically as they were meted out on my brother. The truth is I know that I'm no different than my sister-in-law. Oh, yes, I realize she murdered someone, and I never literally have done that. She told me so. She told me what she did, and the judge agreed, minimally, involuntary manslaughter. But so did I. I am a murderer, too. You see, my sin put my Savior on Adam's tree. But the Lord forgave me of this higher crime. It reminds me of that passage of Scripture in Matthew 18 where the man went to the guy who was unforgiving of the fellow that owed a hundred denarii. And he said, I forgave you all this debt. Why can't you have mercy as I have had mercy on you? My prayer is that I never get over the fact that my murder charge received the forgiveness of Christ. May we all find forgiveness for our murder of the Son of God. And from that place of humility, humility we rest in God's judgments on all things that are still waiting on reconciliation and restoration. You see, you can live today and in future grace that is certain to come. God will restore all things, reconcile. He will make all things right in His way. All sin will be punished one way or another. There can be forever forgiveness and redemption for those who choose it. It's going to turn out okay, though in this life there will be a lot of, lot of strings hanging out of our garments, and it's going to be imperfect, but you can live in this future hope and future grace that is surely to come. You see, as I said earlier, you have no choice in this matter of evil coming and knocking on your door and hovering over your heart and your home. But you do have a choice as to whether you want to be bitter about it, whether you want to work through this process from despair to joy, from despair to hope, from despair to faith, or you can be smothered by bitterness and a desire for revenge. If you're struggling with injustice, 
I recommend that you read the articles that I've linked here at the top of this article. If you go to the top of this article, again, the title of it is My Brother Was Murdered in 1997. There are three articles here. One of them is called The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad as I walk through a similar concept of how to have a forgiving heart toward my dad who never asked for forgiveness, who never repented of his sins. He died in 1978, I believe, and never reconciled, but left me with a bag of bitterness in my heart, and I had to work through that. And so I have this article here, The Reason I Stopped Hating My Dad. There's another one called Bitterness is Self-Induced Poison of the Soul. And that's what happens as you continue to meditate and reflect upon what happened to you. You will grow in bitterness if you don't take the gospel antidote. And then there's another article, the third one here, Revenge, When Evil Comes Upon You. And so I would encourage you to read these articles as well. And then I have links here to my free community forum. You can get on there and say, man, I am, I am just so bitter about whatever it may be. And if you're going to write personally, just flatten it out. We don't need names. We don't need to know who the specifics are. But we do, do need to know what's going on in your heart, what's happening in your soul. And we would love to come alongside you, be a friend, help you, encourage you, admonish you if we need to. But we would love to help you in, the, in this journey from despair to joy. You can have it. It is yours. Uh, God can do amazing things in your life. Please read this article. My brother was murdered in 1997. It is short. Read the accompanying links and be sure to get on our forums. And let's talk about some of these things. I hope you have a blessed day. Your Daily Drive is a production of rickthomas.net, a global community that is seeking to live more productive and inspiring lives. If you'd like to learn more about our community, please go to rickthomas.net, rickthomas.net.